Hey guys, this is David. We wanted to let you know about an exciting opportunity we don't want you to miss out on. We are hosting our annual Awaken Conference Labor Day weekend in Dallas, Texas. Join 4,000 other young adults from all over the country and world to be a part of seeing an awakening of the hope of the world, which is the church of Jesus in our generation. Go to theporch.live to get a ticket before they sell out. Hope to see you at Awaken 2022. Welcome to Views from the Porch, a lifestyle podcast where we have weekly conversations about some of the biggest challenges young adults face today. Our desire is to use God's word and our experience leading thousands of young adults at the porch to challenge you, push you, keep it real with you, and walk alongside you as you navigate your defining years as a young adult. For more info on the porch, visit theporch.live or follow us on social media. And with that, here's this week's episode. What's up, guys? This is David. We are back with another episode of Views from the Porch. Join with the one and only J.D. Rogers. What up? And Mrs. Becca from the block, Kepto. Hello. I need to think of a better intro. Yep. It's not hello. We're, we're not there We'll yet. try again next okay. time. Yeah, that's not it. How's everyone doing, guys? I'm doing good. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful weather. Beautiful weather. I don't know what day they'll be listening to this, but right now it's beautiful outside. I think it's going to be hot. Unless they're not in Dallas, then it could be beautiful wherever you are. That's mm-hmm. right. But... Uh, speaking of making life more beautiful wherever you are. Oh, okay. <laughs> mm. Well, in order to get it more beautiful, you have to dress the ugly. Mm. And so today we're going to talk mm. about addressing the ugly parts of life, a.k.a. we're continuing a conversation on shame and talking about what it looks like to heal from what you've done and what's been done to you. David, you're the one that kind of was advocating for this yeah episode talked to us so what what, what why do we because he just preached on this so what made you kind of want to go deeper and go more on the conversation yeah so on tuesday uh, may 24th we did a, a message in our pov series and what was it what was it titled it was about peter but it's, you were ashamed now you're set free you were ashamed now you're set free and at the end of the message we basically had handed out 3,000 index cards and pens to everyone in attendance and reminded them that in Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus, any of the things from your past, mistakes done to you, done by you, the things that you're tempted to say, I'm so ashamed of, I'm afraid to talk about, um, I find my my worth and value has decreased or is decreased because of just I'm so ashamed of the things that I've done in Christ. Those no, no longer define you. And so right out whatever that is, and we just want you to invite you to leave it behind for the rest of your life, no matter how many times you fail, how many times you fall, in Christ, that doesn't define you. Jesus' righteousness does. Mm-hmm. And on Wednesday, our team got together, and we just had collected 3,000 of those just mm-hmm. to pray over some of them. And I don't know what you all felt. I'd love you, love you all to share how that was in the moment. But we were just reading through, and... It was really heartbreaking, candidly. Like, honestly, it's kind of had me shook since then of just the number of sexual abuse, rape, abortion, divorce, um, traumatic events, shame over, you know, one person, I didn't take the last phone call my dad had before he passed away, or mm-hmm. I, was, um, I was molested in kindergarten, or I mean, just really, really heavy 
and and everything across the board from alcoholism, drug addiction, um, just a, a wide spectrum. And I felt like just as uh, almost as we all do, because we love our our people, we love those who are there, like a um, real heaviness. And my heart just was broken for like what people are carrying around. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of came together last minute. We were like, man, let's just re- remind them they're free. And it wasn't some long drawn out planned night moment. Just was like God was in it. And then just to see the heaviness of what people were walking through, it just felt like, man, we should talk about this one to allow people to know that they're not alone. We can so often feel like, man, I'm the only one that struggles with an eating disorder. I'm the only one who was um, who battles same-sex attraction. I'm the only one who um, was sexually abused or whatever it is to remind them they're not alone. And then talk about steps towards experiencing healing now that it doesn't define you, uh, making sure that it doesn't um, impact and direct your life. But what did y'all feel? I mean, you know, we sat there together as a team reading it. Yeah. Like you said, I think it was just a really heavy moment, us looking through those note cards. And I think it's one thing to hear about somebody being raped. But when you see that in a room of 3,000, multiple note cards having things like rape, sexual abuse, like you said, things like that, it truly just broke all of our hearts. And also on top of that, not just things that have been done to the people in our room, but just so much shame that our audience has been feeling about things that they've been carrying, like same-sex attraction or cheating on their girlfriend or cheating on their wife. And so just reading through those note cards, we just saw such a need um, to kind of shepherd you guys and teach you how do you even heal from your past shames? Yeah. For me, I think my thought was it just reminds me that a lot of people look like they're okay mm-hmm. and everyone's coming in smiling. Yeah. Um, but on the inside, so many people just need a space to kind of cry out for help. And that's what kind of broke my heart is, man, I hope that it's just not only writing on a card anonymously. Yeah. That people are truly feeling free from these things. And so I think that's why we're having this conversation. So, David, what would you say is just walk us through what you would if, – if I'm going, man, I don't want this to be – because even writing anonymously on a card can still – feel safe in a way or like um, you can still feel not known you know yeah it's between you and God but um, is that enough is there something more that we can do what's a great next step in that moment from that moment yeah you know JD to double click on what you said I think that's part of why it was so um, I just was like I I can like envision the room and we all can because we're there every Tuesday and I just see hands lifted up and they're singing I'll make room for you um, to do whatever you want to. And, you know, you just look around a room and everyone's praising God. And to know that they're carrying that, it just is a reminder of like, man, everybody we've ever met, including the three of us on this podcast, are broken sinners who are clinging to God's grace Mm -hmm. and have stories that have lots of hurts and father wounds and, and sexual trauma and just stuff that is in their life. And I think one step to your point, JD, that you just brought up is it's one thing to confess it to God. One of the first steps that James 5.17 said towards healing is confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. And James, who is the brother of Jesus, 
which is so fascinating, the fact that Jesus even had two younger brothers at least, we're told, had seen his brother heal people for years. Like he's, he's the little baby brother of Jesus. Like Jesus just healed a paralytic. Jesus just healed somebody's eyes. Jesus just healed a leper. And he uses that word that, hey, if you want to experience healing, it's going to involve confessing to another person, another believer in your life, bringing it out into the open and praying for one another to experiencing God's healing. And so I think, you know, I've used the analogy before that there was this time that I went camping in the woods and I got poison ivy like all over like the sides of my legs and just not in a great, not in a very exposed out in the open place. And mm-hmm. it took a really long time for it to heal because it wasn't out in the light. You got to put shorts on and you got to like, you're wearing clothes all day. And I remember seeing doctors at the time because it lasted like a month and they were like, yeah, it's because it has to, it has to come out in the light for it to heal. And the same thing is true, I think, with any of our experiences, that God's not wanting us to bring him into the light so that we experience condemnation and judgment from other people, but so that we experience healing. There's just something that it takes the fangs out of the power of our shame. It like plucks them when you bring it out in the, into the light and you begin to experience healing and then prayer with other people. Part of why we hit on community so much is because we know that it's in that context of authentic relationships where I can just open up and I can talk about the um, lustful thoughts that I'm having towards people that are not my wife, the um, materialism, the greed, the anger, the, the sexual sin replaying in my mind from sexual sin in my past. It, it's just in the authentic in the context of community where I can bring those out and I can ask for accountability and people can ask questions and people can lovingly come alongside of me is a part of the process of healing. And so to anyone who shared two tonight, and maybe you have shared that before with somebody, or maybe you've never shared that before, which my guess is, is a lot of people. And maybe some of you are listening and you didn't honestly even share. You were one of the few that wrote like just shame and enwrapped in that word shame is your story of guilt and regret and of stuff you, you, we're too honestly afraid to even write out part of the way that you're going to experience healing is by bringing that into the light and confessing it to another believer inside of your life. How do you pick the right people to do that with? Like, how do you know who to let in? Because yeah, that can be a very vulnerable thing to do. And also how do you know someone is equipped to handle what you might have to tell them? Yeah. I think if they're a believer in Jesus, um, they at least are equipped to pray. You know, and so I'm not saying you are responsible to share it with everybody, but hopefully you have. Actually, let me reframe the question. Yeah. How how can we become, if someone comes to us with this, how yeah. can we become the person that's a safe place to always confide in no matter what they have to share? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the flip side, and my immediate answer to you is kind of almost nuanced to you and me because as people who speak on a stage, people want to come and talk to us as though we offer something unique that other believers in their life wouldn't. Like, hey, I need to share this with this person and have this person pray over me and have this person's advice because that really is is going to make a change. And that's just not true. So at some level, if anyone thinks, man, I need to um, confess this to my pastor, just like I need to confess it to a priest, that's just not what we believe. We think we're a kingdom of priests. And if you have other believers in your life, that you can open up and share with those people. But I would try, to, I mean, in our context, if you're in Dallas, 
I, I'm such a fan of community groups. We've been in one for eight years with other married couples that know everything, the struggles, the the good, the bad, the ugly, everything that we have. And so I would find a church that facilitates and encourages those type of relationships. Let's say there isn't a church that has one of those. I think you are responsible for facilitating and creating those relationships and accountability groups or finding other believers that you are spending time with and getting to know and being around and building relationships to then be able to go deeper. I also think there's value in consistently sharing with that person. Because if I confess to you, JD, and I say, hey, man, I just, um, I was scrolling through Instagram and I just, I, I all of a sudden just typed in bikini hashtag and I just spent the next hour just filling my mind with lustful thoughts or filling, lusting over all these different bikini pictures. And then a, a week later, I do the same thing and I pick up the phone and I call, um, you know, Steve and I'm like, hey, Steve, will you pray for me? He's not going to have the context of like, oh, this, this happened again last week. And I feel better because sometimes we think of confession as guilt removal. And the purpose of confession is not to alleviate your guilt. The purpose of confession is to step towards healing. And by bringing it to the same group of people and sharing in person with the same group, the same thing, it's a part of ways that they can know you more accurately, love you accordingly. And so I think you're going to have to do some of the work of forging those relationships and, and maybe you're in a church that has it and they offer that and you got to just get plugged in and begin to build those relationships and open up because as we've said before, confession's contagious. There's something about when I see somebody else being vulnerable, it invites me or it moves me to be vulnerable so I can lead out by example. But maybe you're not in a church like that and you're just going to have to look around and go, man, I know this believer is in town. I know this friend and I'm going to ask them, hey, can we meet weekly and just pray for one another, hold each other accountable and walk together towards Jesus. So what would y'all add? Well, I think JD's question was more so a little bit asking, like, if we are Christians and Christians are listening, how do you become the person where, say, your friend comes to you and is like, hey, I've been carrying this shame, but I'm even shameful in telling you I've been struggling with same-sex attraction. But if that's not something that person deals with, how do you know how to shepherd them? Or how do you get to a point where you would be— um well-equipped enough to shepherd them in a moment like that, or it can be anything, like sexual abuse, just something that they don't necessarily understand. How would you recommend to our listeners who want to be those type of people in their friends' lives? Yeah, I think, one, you want to you thank them for sharing. You want to be familiar enough with God's Word to know that same-sex attraction is no different than um, opposite-sex attraction outside of the context of marriage. Like, it's both sinful and you don't want to categorize sin in different ways where sometimes you're like, whoa, wow, I cannot mm-hmm. believe that. And I think the more you're familiar with God's word and yourself as a sinner, the more you're able to go, man, I, I've got brokenness that plays itself out in my own life this way. Thank you for sharing that with you and how I can love you. I think the question of, hey, um, I've never experienced sexual trauma like that. I think one way that we love and pray for because again, James 5.17 is not just confess, it's pray for one another too. So it's it's an equation and I'm responsible for praying over the things that have been confessed to me and asking others to do the same when I confess to them. And I think there's totally appropriate times to say, man, you experience, like, let me use a, a, an example that's less relatable, but I think more um, understandable. When somebody comes back from war in Iraq and they've got PTSD which is a real thing. I mean, that's, that's a thing that people are yeah. like, man, I've got serious issues with PTSD. I may not be as trained as my wife, who's a counselor, which is true. I'm married to a counselor. 
she may have, because she's a Christian counselor, she's familiar with God's word. She's also trained to recognize patterns of behaviors and patterns of experiences and how to help people work through some of those phobias. And so I think there's totally appropriate times where in addition to those authentic relationships, we suggest, hey, this may be something that you consider seeing a trusted um, counselor, therapist who shares your worldview that is a believer. I'm not saying that that people outside of uh, people in another field that don't have a Christian worldview can't be helpful. I'm saying ideally they share your worldview, they're a Christian, and that they come alongside. I don't know if I've told this story before, but I think it's so crazy. I'll tell it again. Have I told the story on this podcast about when I was seeing a counselor and the the group that got trapped up in that? I know I've told it before, but got trapped in that viewing thing. I remember you telling this story, but I can't remember if it was on the podcast. Okay, so I'll not. tell it really quickly. I was sitting there and I was talking to a counselor and I was sharing about phobias. Mm-hmm. And I honestly was talking for a friend, which is not a good reason to go to a counselor to talk about somebody else's problem, but that's what we were doing. And I was asking how my friend who had a phobia of something would get over that. And I've said, cause they're a believer. And I was basically like, couldn't they just, um, you know, whatever your phobia is, if it's, if it's, um, elevators, just get on the elevator and quote Hebrews 13, four, that he'll never leave you, you don't forsake you, never leave you. Um, and he was like, no, that's not going to work. It's, it's not cerebral. It's an emotional attachment that they have to that experience that they need to uh, replace with an alternative experience. And he said, let me tell you a story. And he began to tell this story. And he said, I, years ago, I was at Six Flags, which is Astro World, uh, not Astro World, Six Flags. Everyone knows what Six Flags is, right? <laughs> yeah. Theme park. I was there. They had a viewing where you get in this elevator and you go up and it's it's glass all the way around. You can see the whole city of Dallas. You go mm-hmm. all the way, 10 floors up. You can see everywhere. He said, we got on. There's 20 of us and just him and a bunch of strangers. And they went all the way to the top and they're 30 stories up in the air and they could see the whole city of Dallas. It's beautiful. Then they go to descend and it gets stuck and they couldn't get the elevator to go down and they're sitting there and they were there for three hours and the little kids were running around and they were fine. It was the parents, he said, that he would look around and you could just see people were beginning to have uh, either panic attacks or like fear claustrophobia, just things. And and he eventually, after attempting to get the, uh, the um, elevator to come down, the ceiling opens up and they throw down a rope ladder. And every person had to climb up that rope ladder and walk down a catwalk, stories and stories up in the air. And he said, after that experience, people developed a phobia of elevators. Like it was Mm -hmm. such a traumatic event that it it developed a phobia. And he began to lay out how in, um, with a Christian worldview, we know that all truth is God's truth. And so we can benefit from medical fields, psychological fields, et cetera. But one of the ways that you battle a phobia like that is that you begin to desensitize and replace that traumatic experience with alternative ones. And so maybe that looks like you go and if your phobia is elevators, you show up, you look at the elevator and you, you just look at it and then you go about your day. The next day you look at it, you do that for six days. Seventh day, you push the button, it opens up, it closes. You do that for seven days. Eventually you open the button, you step on. Then you step off, step on, step off. Then eventually you get to the place where you step on, the doors close, you sit there for a second, then you get off. And you basically desensitize until eventually, man, you go up one floor and then you get off. You do that for a while, then you go up two floors. I say all of that to say, Apart from knowing or understanding that, like that's a real helpful pathway towards defeating a phobia that we can shout, just hold on to Hebrews 10 or Hebrews 13, 4, God will never leave you nor forsake you and all things are possible, Never, nothing will separate from his love. And some people that'll work for, but then there's other people that because it's not cerebral, like they know those things, they just have an association with that traumatic event. 
And so I think that there are times that as believers, we can come alongside of people and lovingly say, hey, I think it would benefit you to see somebody who may have a little bit more familiarity with PTSD or with sexual trauma or with certain abuse. And, um, and in addition to this, and we lovingly recommend that they go do that. Maybe they can't afford it. And we say, hey, we're going to all chip in and help because we want you to experience freedom from that. So that's a really long answer to that question, but I think that would be what I would say. What would y'all add? What would you say to somebody who's listening and they're not in Dallas and they don't really have a Christian community group that they can go talk to? And you're saying like the first step in healing from your shame is to bring it to the light and talk to somebody about it. So what would you recommend they do if that's their situation? Yeah, I think they should look for a church. I mean, you guys have friends all over the country. How do y'all counsel? I mean, you say, hey, it's not going to look like Watermark or may not look mm-hmm. like the porch, but there's a likely a place that's nearby you and you need to go get plugged in. And maybe they go, no, I live literally in the middle of you know Canada. There's nobody around me. And maybe you need to change your job or maybe you need to move to a new location or maybe God's calling you to start a church. That probably is a very, very, very small portion of people, but for you to say, I'm going to be willing to change my career in order to experience what God says is his design for life, which is being a part of the body of Christ, being connected to other believers, is a, in the end a wise move. That's a bet that is worth making. Yeah, that's good. What would y'all add? I mean, y'all, I know y'all, y'all have friends, I could name them that are in different places that, I mean, they don't have watermark of the porch. I mean, if you think about it, if they're talking to me about that struggle, then they could probably just tell me too. Sure. Um, so I don't think it necessarily, I mean, FaceTime today, like you can have those kind of friendships virtually as well. I mean, if people can fall in love virtually, then mm-hmm. we can, we can confess. That's true. Virtually. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to the question about how to be there for someone. I think just some practical, like really, really practical things that I do um, because I I don't know why, but I have been trusted with someone saying, um, a common theme I hear from people is this is the first time I'm saying this out loud or I thought I was taking this to the grave. And this is like getting super practical in in the mind of JD. So the first thing I do is I start thinking about the like worst thing, like preparing myself that they could be saying the worst thing ever. Like I've secretly murdered. I'm a serial killer. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. To prepare myself for the worst. And then anything else they say is, so my, my, my emotional response is like more surprise than like, in like a good way than like, whoa. So I'm like, they could be saying anything right now. Be ready for anything. Literally be ready for anything. Like I'm thinking that mentally. Then they say what they say. Let's say a guy says, um, I sexually abused a young boy when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first things I do, and this is for guys and guys and girls with girls, but one of the first things I do is I do some sort of physical touch, whether it's putting an ar- a hand on their shoulder, whether it's giving them a hug, whether it's just, you know, reaching out and grabbing their arm. Yeah. And then I, like you said, I thank them. I look them in the eyes and I thank them. I think that physical touch really shows I'm not disgusted. I don't want to get pulled away. I don't feel gross 
by learning what I just learned. If anything, I feel closer to you. And so I feel like that's just, I really try to mimic the best I can. I'm nothing like God's character. <laughs> but like I try to mimic what what do I feel God do to me when I come to him? Yeah, it's good. And that's what I want them to experience. And so that's that's the next thing I do. And then I begin to ask questions. And I, I, I just will begin to not, and like I will give them the freedom to get as specific as they want. So just further show them, you can't scare me. Like, I already saw you as a broken human being who's in desperate need of Jesus. So nothing you can say will surprise me. And I just help them articulate. And it's just, I feel like when people experience that, oh, I'm fully known and this person is still accepting me and loving me, it just turns everything that their shame has told them upside down. And then I just always end with, putting my hand on their back or on their shoulder and or just my arm around them and just praying for them um, and then just giving them a hug and then just checking in the next day. I always think it's really important to check in the next day because essentially that person just was like em- so emotionally vulnerable with you that a lot of times the next day they wake up feeling shame, wondering, did I just yeah, like, why did I do, do that? that? Yeah. And they feel super exposed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next day I check in just to show them even more. I wasn't like, ooh, glad I got through that one. Yeah. That guy's crazy. Yeah. Um, just to consistently show them that pursuit that it wasn't like a, oh, you told me now. I'm kind of like, all right, get mm-hmm. away from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's what people did for me. And I will say, if you're going to um be that person for someone, you're signing up for um, time and you're signing up for like understand what you're signing up for yeah and it's yeah. and it's not to be taken lightly um it's a treasure that someone would say man i could have talked to anyone and i'm trusting you with this and so steward it well last thing i'll say is i a fear that i'm seeing in the creep into this is it can create codependency mm-hmm. it, it's um it's not they don't mean to, mm-hmm. but I think when someone experiences that kind of emotional vulnerability with another human for the first time, it feels so good that they, it, it kind of becomes a well that they keep coming back to. And you can almost find yourself getting a source of validation from the person over from God's grace, God's love. So as the recipient of that person opening up with you, I think it's really important to Everything needs to be about pushing them to the cross. Yep. That, you know, hey, there's nothing I can say or do to cover that shame. It's all Jesus for you. He is everything. And reminding them of that, because I have seen a lot of people too that not only does it feel good to tell a person for the first time, it feels good to be trusted with that information. And we as humans crave and like being needed. Mm-hmm. And we can develop That's a right. savior complex that it, we want people to trust us because that makes us feel super validated. So you don't want to become their savior. You don't want to become their person that, man, because this person pursues me and all that, that's why I feel validated. That's why I feel enough. That's why I don't feel shame because you'll run out and you'll get too busy. You'll make a new friend. You'll get going to the next season of life. And if that person, if you were that source, well, now they're left at a dead end. And so I had to learn that the hard way when I first became a Christian in college, I had experienced this freedom. And so I was just opening up vulnerably with all these guys for the, cause it was, it felt so good. 
but then they felt super connected to me. But man, we're best friends. And I'm like, oh no, I'm just, this is just awesome yeah. being this vulnerable. I've never been this vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. And so you guys got to make sure that you also just, you steward it really well. Yeah. It's good, man. Man, that's all I got. Well, we want, I want to talk about this for a second. We talked about bringing things to the light, but what is an actionable next step of once you bring it to the light, how do you continue healing from these past traumas or just things that you've been carrying in shame for so long? Yeah. I think um, it really depends on the trauma. It really depends on the thing. Like, um, like let's say it's a father wound. That's going to be very different healing than somebody who has experienced uh, sexual abuse or assault. And if you are in Dallas, and if you're not, there's a lot of churches around the country that still do this. Regeneration or Celebrate Recovery. Uh, Regeneration is Watermark's version of that. I'm a huge fan. Personally went through it. And um, I would begin to process through how that's impacting you. And that's one of the benefit of community groups or small groups is that they can come alongside. And if, if that is a part of your story, they can identify hopefully patterns and ask good questions about, man, it feels like you jump from one relationship to the next and the next. Like what's going on there? And help you maybe connect the dots on how your fear of abandonment because you were abandoned as a child is leading you to proactively in the relationship in order to self-protect because you're afraid that they're going to break up with you. So you rush to break up with them out of any fear that maybe they are going to end the relationship. And it's all because you haven't dealt with a wound of fear of abandonment that you've been carrying a really long time. And one of the ways that you deal with that is by beginning to replace those operating systems, if you will, mm-hmm. with what God's word says, which is, man, I'm not going to believe those lies. I'm not going to believe and rush to those things. I'm going to operate as God says. I'm using the dating you know, analogy. I'm using the dating example as an analogy to say, man, I'm going to begin to date according to what God's word says and replace those behavioral things and also replace and identify those lies that there's something in me that all of a sudden gets terrified that maybe they're going to abandon me. And it's because of, of a wound from my past that maybe I haven't totally dealt with. And I bring that in the light. I just say, guys, I'm really afraid of being abandoned. Like, it's a great fear that I have. And I begin to process that with people. And so it, it, in some ways, it's a really open-ended question. But um, but I think regeneration is everywhere. And all regeneration is is taking the 12 steps of acknowledging it, mm-hmm. doing an inventory of your past, repenting and turning from that. And um, so anything you'd add? I know we're almost out of time. Yeah, I'd add that, you know, we, with with things like this in our life, until heaven, there you'll probably never feel like, oh, that's dead and gone. Now, the, the uh, penalty for it is what's dead and gone, but the act happened and the, or that season took place. And so for me, like with things from my past, things still pop up and trigger me. Or even now, like, journeying and like we probably should do a talk on this someday but like journeying through now like being married and like my sexual experience as a married man yeah things are triggering because i have so much sexual um hurt and brokenness in my past and so i i don't know if i'll ever not like if if freedom in someone's mind is it's like it never happened Mm -hmm. you won't have that yes and on earth and so i think it's just really important to understand that what freedom looks like is when the triggers come, when the thought comes, when the temptation comes, freedom looks like growing and how you respond to those moments. And what I mean by growing is, is 
you start to see a track in your life where more and more and more, it looks like Jesus is winning. Like, like, like being sanctified and being looking more like Christ and saying no to sin and yes to what he wants is winning. And doesn't mean you won't fall. Doesn't mean you won't get caught up in your mind and loop and, you know, spiral maybe one day, but it will start, start to look less and less. And what was once a scream in your mind is now like a whisper that appears every now and then. And that only comes by abiding and being a part of like what everything God calls you to with his people and his word. And so, yeah, that's all I have. I love it. Man, it's good. Well, as always, or if questions come up, you can email us at info at theporch.live. And we'll see you next week in another episode of Views from the Porch. Thank you for listening to Views from the Porch. For more information about The Porch, follow us on social media or visit us at theporch.live. And as always, go in peace and love to serve the Lord this week.